You know, it's so funny. I came in this morning and I'm like, ooh, should we turn on the heater? And then we we're like, maybe, maybe, because it stinks for like the first, you know, you turn your heater off all summer long, you turn it on, it's like, oh, who died? That's, so we didn't. So if you were here when Element first started, Paul Spencer had this propane heater. We used to stick it in the corner. And we, it was like the whole service would be like, because oh, the room, we, the middle of January, so it was, well, for, cold, cold for Santa Maria. But it would just, oh, all morning long. It was wonderful. And it smelled like propane. I kind of like that. It's kind of like skunk. It's like small skunk, too. So I, I guess. I got one announcement that I just want to give you, uh, and it kind of piggybacks something Kirsten said. Uh, the men, we're slackers, okay? That's all I just want to say. The men are slackers. Women have all these things going on. The guys are like, what are we doing? I don't know. What are we doing? Uh, on November 7th, we are having our next men's breakfast. We haven't had one in months. And at this men's breakfast, the sole point of it well, is to eat bacon because that's because bacon's always good, especially when it's chewy. You can't be critical. got to be chewy bacon because I love chewy bacon. And not the maple bacon. I don't know why they so make bacon evil by putting maple in it. But anyway, so we're going to have uh, this men's breakfast. And at this breakfast, we're going to talk about things that, that we can do to start plugging the guys in to do different things, uh, different ministry opportunities you guys can be involved in, as well as different activities that you want to do. I mean, I'd really like to go skydiving. I don't know if any of you guys want to come or do something like that with me, but it'd be, it'd be kind of... Besides Kirsten, <laughs> she's all me, I want to go. <laughs> so, you know, different things, get, get your ideas, we'll put them down, we'll talk about how to get those things going and stuff. So, November 7th, sign-up sheets are in the back, sign up, uh, breakfast is free, you can throw in a couple bucks if you want to, uh, but again, breakfast is free, we're all going to get together, it'll be great, get you guys doing some things that you actually like to do. All right, why don't you stay on the freedom of God's word. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and it says this, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would be uh, a people who would understand that you have made your creation good, and many times we as people are the ones that go about ruining it. And yet you are a God of redemption and love and grace, and you come to redeem all the evil that we have done and eventually actually redeem us as well. So help us to live as redeemed people, partnering with you and making things better. Amen. Have a seat. All right. Uh, we are doing this new series, like I said, called Empire. It's going to be six weeks long. We are unpacking this whole idea of what the kingdom of God is. I told you last week that we're going to take a biblical and historical look at what God called his people to be, uh, what they did with the calling, and how we invited to that same calling today. Uh, over the next five weeks, we're going to be focused on various locations. Like today, we're going to kind of talk about Egypt and, and how the Israelites started there and how the kingdom of God got its central idea there. So we'll look at that and then how Jesus saw all of that to be, what it came to fruition, what he called his people of his day into, and again, what he calls us into, the kingdom of God, how it all starts. This may be a little different than last week, but go with me. I think you'll get it in the end. If you have a Bible, open to Exodus chapter 3. Now, if you take college classes on the Bible, you will come to see that there's many ideas from people who wrote it, how it came to be, how it all came together, uh, especially in regards to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, but Jesus believed that Moses wrote it, and I think God's the best Bible teacher out there, so we'll go with Jesus. I think that's always a good deal. Uh, in Jewish circles, there is this idea that Jewish history begins in the book of Exodus, not Genesis. Because this is where they find the core of their identity, of, of who they are. Genesis fits in with the Exodus story. But Exodus is the idea of the slaves being brought out of Egypt. 
Many see the central idea of the slaves crying out to God in Egypt, crying out for freedom, as the central part of who the Jewish people became. As a matter of fact, it is the main metaphor that you see throughout the New Testament about God coming and redeeming us as a people. Is this whole idea of God coming and redeeming the people in the Exodus. You know, Genesis, the backstory, how they got to Egypt. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, goes like this. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and all the other ites that you can come across. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, he is speaking to Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is the key scripture in Israelite history. They always refer back to this. And the key phrase for God is, I have heard the cry. The central idea to understanding God and the kingdom of God and how he works is that God hears the cry. God hears the cry. The story begins with slavery. God hears the cry and God says, I'm going to do something about it. Takes them from slavery into the kingdom of God. As we talk about this, I don't want you to confuse Egypt with Arabs. Okay, This is not about racism at all. Egypt is a metaphor, like John uses a lot of metaphors. And Egypt is a place in Scripture that came to symbolize everything that was opposed to the kingdom of God because of the harsh treatment that the Israelites experienced in that place. Okay, It's not about Arabs and non-Arabs. It is about a place and actually then also what Egypt comes to represent in our own individual souls. As we talk about this, like I said, don't confuse those two things. Last week we talked about the kingdom of God. Today we're going to talk about what is opposite the kingdom of God, what is anti-kingdom. And so if you want to understand Egypt's role and what God is doing, you have to understand the big idea of this anti-kingdom, how big our sin is and how sin tries to always make an anti-kingdom and how it affects us and our world. So open to Genesis chapter 3. It's the first book. If you've got a concordance, just flip past the beginning of that, and then you'll hit Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. This happens right after the fall, right after Adam and Eve disobey God, and sin enters the world, and they are now separated from God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, goes like this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they, what? Hid. Hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is man hiding behind a tree, thinking the God of the universe can't find him behind a tree in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now these four verses teach you the human condition. Before sin enters the world, we had an intimacy with God. We got to walk with Him in the park. Hey, God, I'll meet you at Waller. There's Frisbee golf over there. We'll play. I'm sure you're better than me, but it'll be cool. It'll, it'll be a whole lot of fun. There's a closeness. Scripture calls this shalom, rightness with God. This has never been your experience or my experience, but it's what they had. After sin enters the world, they hide like you and I hide. This is a picture of moral guilt. We hide out of fear because we have violated God. God asks Adam, who told you you were naked? That's a good question. Who told Adam that he was naked? Adam. Adam told Adam he was naked. Adam is like, oh, look at that. I, I'm naked. Nakedness is a picture of shame. 
we feel guilt for violating God and shame for violating God's image in us. Even people who are not believers, never read the Bible, they still have this idea of some type of shame and moral guilt when they do something wrong. Because we are marring the image of God that is in us. When we sin against God, we further distort ourselves because we are made in the image of God. What you have here is the birth of what I would call the divided self. The divided self. We become something on the outside to hide what we truly are on the inside. And this is, what, this is where it started. And it just keeps getting worse with more lies. God says to Adam, did you sin? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? And Adam says, no, <laughs> she did. It's that woman you gave me. Verse 12, he says, The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. The man says, Obviously, the woman you gave me, she's defective. <laughs> she, I, you know, she, she started wearing clothes, and she gave me food. It's really gone downhill since the last time you were here. You know, She's like beta. I'll take version 2.0. You guys figure it out and come back, and, and we'll get it all squared away. And humanity has been blaming each other ever since. And you see that sin separates us from God because we hide, but sin also separates us from each other because now we're blaming each other. Go to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. This is after they're out of the garden, and this is what they're doing to establish their life. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now this is how men are beginning to try to interact with God again. Cain comes and he brings his leftovers to God, but Abel brings something special, his fat portions. That means those are the best, the best of what he has he brings to God. This is an amazing act of love and an amazing act of worship. And Abel is saying, I want intimacy with God like my parents used to know. It says, the Lord looked on favor on, favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So two brothers go to worship God. They essentially, they, they go to church. They come bringing their offering. This is before money. So a rancher comes and, and a rancher's bringing some type of animal and a farmer's bringing some type of grain or something like that. Abel's is accepted. Cain is not. Now when we read scripture, we see things like this and we think, oh, I'm like Abel. I go to church. I'm kind of good. Cain, he's bad. Abel's good. So I'm, I'm like Abel. What Genesis wants you to see is that whoever's the bad guy, that's you. Okay, that's you. We're, we're, we're like Cain. You know? we, we look at this and we think, Cain's an ungodly man. Let me just point this out to you, okay, in case you haven't noticed it. Cain went to church, he brought an offering, and he gave to God. Many of us go to church, we don't give God anything. So we're worse than Cain. You're welcome. That's how that works. <laughs> God receives Abel's and not Cain's. Why? If you look at you know, 1 Samuel, which is last week, about how Samuel goes and anoints the next king, it tells you that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. 1 John 3.12 says that Cain had jealousy in his heart when he came. Hebrews chapter 11 says he came with unbelief. Okay, How many of you have ever come at some point to a church or someplace worried about what everybody else would think about you? So you dress a certain way, you speak a certain way so that people don't think you are who you really are. You compare yourself to others. That's sin. That's the divided self. That's the fall. That's Cain. His sin wasn't in his hands. It was in his heart. He was jealous of Abel. Cain and Abel bring their offerings. Cain looks over at Abel and says, Oh my goodness, he's going to out-offer me. He's going to out-give me. He's going to out-worship me. He's going to out-serve me. That's Cain's problem. He looks around and becomes jealous of what everyone else has. 
He is a slave to his sin nature, as is Abel. But his is more on display. Cain came with his eyes on Abel and not on God. Cain goes to church, sings his songs, drops ten bucks in the offering box, and walks away mad because his brother knows real intimacy with God, and he does not. And you see Cain become a picture of depression, our divided selves. Sin that separates brings blame, then it brought shame, then it brings guilt, then it brought depression, then you see his downcast eyes, and that brings anger, and resentment is born, and that resentment then leads to violence. Verse 8, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Sin enters the world. Sin enters the world. And we go from guilt, shame, blame, depression, anger, violence to murder. Sin grows and moves from the personal to the public, from the moral to the ethical. That is what sin does. It's like if you have a problem with somebody, you typically don't talk to that person you have a problem with. You talk to all your friends about the person you've got a problem with. And it just grew from the personal to the public to all of your friends. Meanwhile, this person is then mad at you because you're talking about them and they talk to all their friends and not you. And all of a sudden you have two public factions. And sin grows and it tries to establish an empire that is opposite the kingdom of God. Turn to Genesis chapter 11. This escalation of sin continues. It continues. Genesis 11 verse 1. It says, now the whole world had one language and one common speech as men moved eastward. And eastward in Genesis is always a picture of them moving farther and farther away from the garden, farther away from where God intended. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us bake, uh, make bricks and bake them thoroughly, kind of reminiscent of the Israelites also. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. What you see in Genesis 11 is that sin is now ingrained in the structure of human society. God wanted men to scatter over the entire earth and oversee it, take care of it, steward it, and learn about it. And now everyone in society is fighting to be God. Everybody's fighting to be God. Sin always moves from the social to the structural. And God knows this city cannot exist because of what it would do to mankind. And so God comes down and he scatters these people himself over the entire earth. And now you have global separation and alienation because of man's sin. People no longer speak a common language. This is the nature and the progression of sin. Sin always moves from an individual to a society. From the garden to the globe, sin always moves from a personal to an empire where it tries to set itself up as something that defies God. It tries to become its own kingdom, anti-kingdom. So you following me? Yes? Good. As Christians, we're told a lot about you know, the, the personal and the individual. And so I, I, sometimes it's hard to understand how this actually works itself out to the entire world unless somebody points it out to you. So I'm going to try and point this out to you, how this works by one example. Uh, Don Golden, he is the senior vice president for World Relief. He is in Sierra Leone in Africa a few years ago. And in, at that time, what happened was there's this end of this war. 40,000 rebel soldiers come in, and they lay down their arms, and they burn them. I got a... This is what the pit looked like. They start throwing their arms in, and they burn their weapons in this pit. They get amnesty for doing this. Um, now, in, in Africa, there are typically two weapons that always appear during their conflicts. The first one is the RPG, which is the rocket-propelled grenade. Okay? And you get to stand very far away, and you get to shoot people with this. And the second one is the machete, which is very close up. Okay? And you get very close, and you, and you kill people right up on them. Let me show you how this goes global. 
at some point, somewhere, you had probably one person that got angry at somebody else. And they went and they started talking to everybody else about it. And these people talked to everybody else about it. And it kind of grew from them to two to three to four to tribe against tribe to area against area. And now all of a sudden you have this full-blown conflict there. And so what happens in the RPGs are made in the Soviet Union in China. And after the Cold War, they're like, what are we going to do with our weapons? What are we going to do with all these weapons that we got? Africa, they're always fighting, they're always civil war. That's really good for us and for business. So Africa becomes the market for small arms access. Okay? Now... Where do, you get, where do they get money to buy these small arms? You know, what, from, you know, from the leading industry. You know what their leading industry in Africa is? Diamonds. Diamonds. Today we call these blood diamonds or conflict diamonds. But diamonds for us, they're a token of love and devotion. And so we pay these overly inflated prices for diamonds. In Africa, there's no shortage of people willing to kill for those diamonds, including the young men who threw their, their weapons into that pit. Now, if you have ever seen pictures of this country or the movie Blood Diamond at all, you will see little children scarred and murdered because of RPGs and machetes. And it starts in Africa, and it goes to Russia and China and back to Africa, then to Europe and America. And this sin has now gone global, and it infects everybody. Sin always goes from the human heart into the interpersonal conflicts around us and establishes itself in the structures of the world. That is what sin does. Sin is always trying to move itself to create a kingdom that opposes the kingdom of God. That is anti-kingdom. From a garden to a field to a city to the world. Now open to Gen- uh, Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. When Exodus begins, it is a picture of what anti-kingdom has become. How sin stretches farther and wider than we can imagine. And the writer of Exodus wants you to see as this begins, you know, it may have started with one person, but now it's not just one person on another. This is an entire group of people, the Israelites, who are at the, are at the mercy of a giant system. Exodus 1.1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob. Go to verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, or a new kingdom... Uh, who did not know Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become too, mu- too numerous uh, for us. Verse 11. So they put slave masters over them to, what's the word? Oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. He turns them into slaves to build storehouses so the Egyptians can become more wealthy. Verse 12. But the more they oppressed the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. So Exodus opens with a picture of a group of people, the Hebrews, enslaved to a system of slavery. Something that is against the kingdom of God. Again, at this point, it has moved, and so it's no longer one person against another. It's a whole system against a whole people. Using the metaphor of Egypt, which you'll see throughout Scripture, that Egypt is what happens when sin builds itself ahead of steam. It becomes systemic evil, an evil empire. Systemic is, systemic is more than just one person on another. It is cultural and society on, one on another. It is a kingdom opposed to the kingdom of God. The kingdom oppresses and dehumanizes and makes slaves of another. Anti-kingdom is always wrong. Would you agree with that? Okay. In scriptures in the later Jesus' day, again, referring to Egypt, this was an idea of the whole system 
that was opposed to the way of God. Egypt was a picture of what happens when sin becomes embedded into society. Beyond one person or two, to a tribe, to a city, to a nation, an organized structure that doesn't value human life or the reality of the kingdom of God. This, for the Jews, becomes a geographical place. Egypt, that's where we were held in slavery. That's where God heard our cry. But again, it later becomes used as a metaphor where people are kept in bondage. And even to a deeper level, a picture of what every person on the planet is born into. Sin. This nature that takes us and pulls us opposite of the kingdom of God. When the Israelites were born, they're born into slavery, not only physically, but spiritually. So do you see how Egypt works on multiple levels? Okay. So the problem in the world is sin. The answer is always Jesus. And we talk about this salvation, this, this redemption for mankind. It works like this. Uh, here's the guy. His name is Billy Graham. I'll show you a picture. Okay. This is young Billy. I got a picture of older Billy, too. Okay. This, is, this is older Billy. You guys have heard of him, right, Billy Graham? Okay, just check it. No, I have my head in a, in a ditch somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> What's Coldstone? Uh, Billy Graham, so he's been preaching the gospel for almost 60 years. Never a hint of impropriety with this guy. Total integrity, very beautiful, very beautiful. Uh, if you heard Billy speak, his central message is this. We are born with a simple nature. We are born separated from God. But God is loving and God is merciful and God is full of grace. And he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins and forgive us and restore us to our creator. In the end of Billy Graham's sermon, for 60 years, he invites people to come to the realization, yes, I have a sinful nature in me and I have sinned against God and I need Jesus as payment for my sin to be reconciled to God. The message is about you through you and Jesus together and Jesus saving you and you being reconciled to God through Christ. The message is not about others or the wrong society. It's simply you and God. And it is a true message. Now, there's another guy. His name is Martin Luther King Jr. There he is. Okay, Martin Luther King Jr. In the 60s, he comes along and he sees the racism that's embedded in the structures and in the culture in America, the oppression of African Americans. And he says, this is not right. This is not right. You know, there shouldn't be two drinking fountains. Anybody should be able to sit on the bus wherever they want to sit on the bus. There should not be segregation. And he brings a message that said God doesn't approve of a nation divided over skin color. A nation divided over skin color is out of sync with the kingdom of God. And so he calls a nation to repent. And through activism, he begins to turn the tide. And he said there is structural racism. It's not just this person against this person. It's embedded in our society. Okay, in our institutions. And so he came to a whole country and said, this system is wrong. And that was a true message. Now, who preached the gospel? Who preaches the kingdom of God? Both. Both of them do. Because we all need to trust Christ individually. But trusting in Christ should affect the way that we live. And that change of our life should go out and begin affecting and changing society outside of us. Our bondage to sin is against God's kingdom. And racism is against God's kingdom. And Jesus longs to lead us out of our bondage individually and as a nation and a world. Individual reconciliation with God, which we all need, as well as community-wide structures. Both are the gospel. If it is just you, you and Jesus, then you don't really get the whole idea of the kingdom of God. If it's just racism and systemic evil and poverty and blood diamonds, you don't get the whole idea of the kingdom of God. If you just speak about big picture sins and you never get to each individual's heart, that's not the gospel. Okay? The kingdom. In American culture over the last 150 years, what tends to happen is churches run one way or the other. They're like, oh, let's talk about God and our sin and that and never look at societal issues. 
and other churches run along and say, oh, we're all gonna, only going to talk about societal issues and, and not about... And, and they just war and fight and they throw names at each other and it's ugly and terrible. And yet Jesus transcends all of those things because it's all about the kingdom of God. It's about all of us being reconciled to Jesus and reconciling everything that we do with the kingdom of God. So you go back to, the, to Sierra Leone. Okay, and you have you know this little kid whose family's been RPG'd and and they're gone and he's and the machete's been taken to him and so he's pretty messed up, you know he's got a lot of devastation he is starving. Would you walk up to that kid and say, hey little boy, you need to confess your sins to Jesus? You wouldn't, right? No, you would say, let's get him some medical care, let's get him some food, let's show this kid the love of Jesus. And in the midst of that, you talk about why you're doing it, who it is. Yes, Jesus loves you, and this is what I'm doing. And, and you know, more than this can be redeemed. You yourself can be redeemed. And you explain all of that. The message of personal reconciliation is true. It's true. But it's hard to understand if you're a kid who hasn't eaten in two or three days. Our understanding of the gospel, of the kingdom of God, needs to expand so we get and understand that telling people just what Jesus has done is done in much more than just words. It is done by our actions and our hands and our feet and our lives. The central idea in Exodus and the kingdom of God is that God always hears the cry. He always hears the cry. The cry is what inaugurates redemptive history for the Jews. It's what gives us our metaphor of salvation for us, of the entire word redemption. God redeems us. He pays for us, brings us out of slavery and to true life and true freedom. And this whole idea is, is how the whole Torah, the whole first five books of the Bible come to be written. In the scripture, when people cry out, things begin to happen. And for you personally, I, I bet if I asked you, you know, like the, the three or four big moments in, in your life, you know, what would you say? You'd probably say things like, I hit bottom and I cried out. You know, I was lost or my life was unmanageable and, and, and I had to surrender. Our spiritual lives usually begin when we cry out and we realize God has been listening to our cry all along and God has come to save us. See, we know when we cry out, something happens. Just like God comes to Moses and said, they're crying. I hear the cry. Yes, you stutter. Get your brother. Let's go. Let's take care of this. God always hears the cry. Jesus is walking on a road and a blind man in Mark 10, 48 cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. A messianic title. Jesus stops, calls him over, helps him. It's a woman who's a daughter, who has a daughter who is sick in Matthew 15, 22. She comes crying, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops and he helps her. Jesus hears the cry. That shows that Jesus' understanding of the kingdom of God is one that hears the cry around us. Part of understanding God is knowing he hears the cry. There are 2,103 verses in Scripture about the poor, the needy, and the oppressed. You think that's important to God? Of course it is. When we hear the cry, we are with God. We will understand God best when our hearts are broken, when we hear the cry. When we understand, when people around us are hurting. God is the God who hears the cry. And if people are crying out, we should be those that hear also. I think maybe sometimes it's why religion seems so irrelevant, because religion doesn't ever hear the cry. When you talk about systemic people, uh, systemic evil, many people sometimes just want to say, oh, no, it, it's just you and Jesus and repent. Well, it is just you and Jesus, okay? That, that's the point. Problem, sin, the, the answer is Jesus. But it is him leading us into something greater. And if we are not hearing the cry, if we are always unaware of systemic injustice, 
we must ask ourselves if that's because we're part of a system that feeds the machine. And those are very hard questions to ask because we don't want to change. We want to stay who we are. In Luke 4, 18 and 19, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what is amazing is that God calls us His priests, His ambassadors to the world. And He has sent us with that same mission. The same mission. And what if an entire group of people decided, God, help us to hear the cry and help us do something about it. We are a people, a kingdom, of, if, if you follow Christ, who have sacred history in our hands. And I don't know anything that would make God smile more than seeing his people live that way. Um, at Element, what, what we do, uh, part of what we do, is everything that you guys give, we take 10% and we set it aside. We set it aside for church planting and world relief to do various things throughout the world. Now, a few months ago, I had this friend who does clean drinking water over in Indonesia. And for me, I, clean drinking water is kind of a big deal for me because in our world today, there's no reason people should not have clean drinking water, right? Okay. So um, we send them uh, some money, and they go, and they start building some stuff. And, and I just got this two weeks ago, and I wanted you just to read you part of it. This is from the people who are doing stuff over there. It says, on the east side of our island, we have been working in a village where the people still walk up to two miles daily to retrieve their water needs. Imagine having to walk two miles. It's like middle of the night. You're really thirsty. Oh, I got a glass of water. I'll wait, you know, because it's two miles. Our project involves the installation of 1.4 miles of piping pumps and building a number of large storage tanks in which, uh, in turn, become a new source of water for the people. We expect this project will impact approximately 200 families in the village. Sometimes when we first enter a village, they, there can be suspicion about our true intentions for the people. And starting to work with this particular village, we were hesitant at first to mention our faith because it's, it's a Muslim country. And what was driving us to help these people. After a number of months, however, I remember visiting and being introduced as from the foundation who are Christian and they're helping to get water to our village. A week or so later, two of our workers were staying overnight with the head of the village, as they often do, and the head of the village is a Muslim. And the village head informed them very openly that it is because of Jesus that his village is able to receive water. Now, do you see? Personal life was changed. Reaches out, makes a difference around them. I, I, I actually asked him, I go, so you know, sh could we go over and build some of these wells? And, and, and he goes, well, yeah. He goes, but honestly, the cost of a plane ticket would like employ one of these guys for two, three months and help build these wells. And we'd rather, you know, help them pay people in that economy who need jobs to actually do these things and build these things. And that is making a difference. Uh, there's a Hindu priest in one of the villages that they're talking to now who is asking them about Christ because of what they are doing. See, it is local. It is you and your interpersonal relationships. It is your city. It is your county. It is your state. It is your nation. It is global. Seeking Jesus, serving others, doing something about the cry. That is the kingdom of God. And bring this down to, to a, a personal level. You know, Egypt is rescue and redemption. Okay? Egypt, Jesus comes and he saves us from sin and oppression. That task will be impossible for you to join unless you know Christ yourself. You cannot join God in the liberation of others if you have not been liberated. You need to be liberated. And so you are someone who is invited to hear that cry this morning and also to cry out yourself. 
just like the Israelites. And we are a people who walk into undeserved fullness of who God calls us to be as individuals and as a body of people. This is what the kingdom of God entails. It's a beautiful concept. This is only week two. I got four more to go. <laughs> and I want all of us. I mean, I, I, I've got all these ideas of things that I would really like to see us do. And you can really only go a couple directions at once before you get pulled apart. And if you have something in your mind that God lays upon your heart, you should never be someone who goes, oh, you guys should do this because you should be prepared for me to go, oh, good, how are we going to do that? And how are you going to run it? <laughs> I mean, if you have something in your mind, something you'd like to see us do, I, I want us making a difference in every place where you guys are involved in because that is the kingdom of God. This morning, uh, we come to communion. And communion reminds us you know, that Jesus died for us in order to usher us into this kingdom of God. I mean, seriously, th- this whole idea of the kingdom of God, for, for you as a people, th- this, this will uh, affect your marriages, it will affect your jobs, it will affect your friendships, it will affect the way you parent, it will affect the way you love your parents. It infuses everything. It completely changes us. So this morning, you are invited to come and take communion. And you break that cracker. which We're going to put second service on the podcast. And you break that cracker and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice, representing Jesus' body, which is broken for us, and his blood that was shed for us. For redemption. So we go out and we live this as well. Jesus gave his life for us. We should give our lives in service of him. And worship God through prayer. There will be some elders and deacons in the back. And if you need prayer... I encourage you to pray with one of them. If you are someone who has never heard the cry, pray with them. If you are someone who hears the cry and doesn't know what to do about it, pray with them. Talk to them. We're going to worship God the prayer. The band's going to come back up. And as they do some songs, I invite you, as you take communion, as you pray where you are, to ask God these hard questions. Am I not hearing the cry? Am I too concerned with myself to hear the cry? Where are you calling me into? How can I better live in the kingdom of God through your strength? We're going to worship God through his giving. There's an offering box on the side wall and in the very back. And we give simply because God gave so much to you and I. And again, like I said, we do, we do give 10% of everything you guys give back to other projects. Um, and we're going to worship God through fellowship, where you guys, as part of the kingdom of God, get together, drink coffee, and get all like loaded on caffeine, and you know, eat in the back, get to know each other, because that is important. You guys, as a kingdom of God, moving forward together. And if you have relationships that have been strained in your life, I encourage you, fix those. Get in there and do the best that you can to make those things right. Because if you don't, sin will fester and it will grow and try and establish itself in your life as an anti-kingdom. And we cannot be that way. We must live in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I do ask that we would be those who understand better what it means to live in the kingdom of God that we would come and that we would worship you with not only our hearts but with our lives. Because honestly, God, worshiping just with our hearts isn't true worship. We must worship with our lives. You call us to be a people who are a living sacrifice. And so I ask that our lives would be that living sacrifice, that everything that we do would be an honor of you help us to hear the cry like you hear the cry and then give us the ideas and the creativity to 
find ways to meet that cry, to involve ourselves with people who are meeting the cry on a personal level with us in our relationships and then ultimately with the world around us, making a difference because you are our God and we are your children and we want to follow our dad where he leads. Amen.